Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and I'm very excited about the show that I have today because I'm sitting here in the Village Theater and uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm sure you listened to the episode, but I interviewed uh, Cassidy Russell. It was an amazing interview. Very fun. But there was something that, that bothered me about it. And what bothered me about it was it felt like I was only talking to half. It was like a half person I was talking to, especially when I talked about her improv duo, Rufio. It was like, it was like a half interview. I was getting half the story. So I did what any, what any good, I guess, podcast host does, and I found out who the second half of Rufio was. And I'm happy today to say that he's sitting right in front of me. You're smiling. Are you, I am. You no, like, I just... Uh, I, I love the build-up. It's great. Yeah, I know. I yeah. just don't even know where it's going. <laughs> I could end up talking for 20 minutes, and then finally we introduce you. But I'm very happy to say we have the other half of Rufio here, an improv duo that I admire so much. So I'm very excited to talk to him. Please welcome to the show, Vincent Miglior. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Hello. Hello. I, I'm a, oh, man, all that build-up. I know. He, well, I, like so I, I'll tell you, there's a hard E when you say my last name. Oh, no. I pronounced it wrong. And that's okay because it's tricky. Uh, it's Migliori. Migliori. Okay, yeah. let me be honest with you. Yeah. Let me be, so I was, re- I was reading it because, yeah. you know, I, I, I read the names online. Sure. And I was like, it could be Migliori. And then I was like, it's probably not. Well, but I'll tell is. you, uh, it's Italian. And so it's, a, you know, the Americanized Migliori, hard G, hard E, uh-huh. uh, traditionally Migliori, you know, Migliori. <laughs> uh, and it means, and you can look this up, and I think this might, you know, kind of be a nice jumping off point from talking about interviewing Cassidy than interviewing me. It means the best. Wow. So if you can look that up, Migliori means the best in Italian. And so you're saving the best for a second. I don't <laughs> know. I, I, maybe. Maybe. It'll be up to the audience to decide. <laughs> wow. Okay, Migliori. Okay, yeah. that's my, my fault. No, you're um, great. Feel free to mispronounce my name the rest of the show got it. to get me back. Got it, um, Max. I, I, <laughs> look, I won't even say anything. I deserve <laughs> it. I deserve it. Um, but, yes, welcome to the show. Thank I'm you. very excited to talk to you because interviewing Cassidy, that was a blast. Sure. Um, now, to, to tell you a little bit, I saw Rufio for the first time like only a couple weeks before Cassidy. Cassidy left. You're right. Okay. And, and I was sitting there in the theater. It was in this room, actually. Okay. And of course, anyone listening has no idea what I'm talking about, but you know. I do. And that's yeah. all that matters. That is all that matters. So I was sitting here, and I remember I was watching Rufio, and I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, it totally <laughs> blew me away. <laughs> I was nice. sitting, I was sitting there, and I was like, this is just unbelievable. And so uh, the second time I saw you guys was the show right before Cassidy moved away with the yeah. acapella group. Oh, sure, yeah. The Graduates. That's, uh, right, yeah. right. That's the one I went to, and I brought one of my friends oh, to, nice. to watch the show with me. And, of course, that was, like, an unbelievable show. That was amazing. Everything, everything flowed. It was so funny. And so he left the improv show, and I tell all my friends, before I take them to see an improv show, I'm always like, look, this is made up on the spot, so... There's going to be some hard Oh, I, t- I tell my friends that. Yeah, all <laughs> but, the time. But, yeah. you know, you never know yeah. what could happen. And he left that show, and he's like, is that what improv is every time? Oh, my God. Like, he was, like, freaking oh, that's out. That's awesome. And so I was like, yep, every time they bring in an acapella group, it's like a party. So that's that's now 
that's his image of what an improv <laughs> show is. Well, great. I love to set that so, kind of tone uh, for people. True. You set the bar super high. Yeah. Well, uh, let your friend know. It's like baseball. Like, you're batting 300. You're doing pretty well. So you're, if your friend comes back, they might be disappointed. But that's okay. We're <laughs> that's trying hard. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah. So, again, thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and to jump right into it. Sure. Growing up, when it comes to late night, what what type of late night shows were you watching that sure. influenced you in your comedy? Yeah, so I was the youngest of three kids. Oh, I'm still the youngest of three kids. Uh, so by <laughs> then, like, my parents were very, all right, as long as he's, you know, not a jerk and he's he's doing doing well in school and stuff, he can he can stay up late. And Or they just didn't care and they just let me stay up late. But it never was really a problem. So I watched a... Uh, a lot of like odd late night, I think, uh, in in certain ways. Uh, Nick at Night, oh. huge like Nick at Night fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know everything from uh, Dick Van Dyke Show, uh, Dragnet, Get Smart, like Get Smart, huge fan of Get Smart, um, which was just an amazing show. Um, so really watched a lot of classic TV, but you know from a late night TV show perspective. Uh, my grandmother, who lived with us too, you know, she was always she uh, on her VCR. She wouldn't stay up, but she would tape every Tonight Show. So uh, a lot of times I'd go in her room and just watch the Tonight Show with her. Um, tail end of Johnny Carson. Don't really can't really you know pinpoint him as saying he's any type of influence for me, but definitely some of the dumb segments that Jay Leno did. Uh, not a huge fan as I got older of Jay Leno, but when I was a kid, like just some of the things that he did was just so funny to me. And then uh, it kind of changed as I got a little bit older. Um, reruns of Saturday Night Live on Comedy Central during the day, uh, kids in the hall. Uh, so then getting into you know to more of the sketch type of comedy, mm-hmm. uh, really really jumped into that. And then we got HBO finally. And of all things, probably by the time I was thirteen, it was Dennis Miller Live, <laughs> which is like another <laughs> late night show that probably not like not a ton of kids are staying up late <laughs> right. watching. It varies like very bare bones, like black stage kind of like this, and they're just talking about and riffing on the news. Mm-hmm. And so I was just always so interested in how the way he was presenting comedy was way different than everybody else. And people would say it was the boring way of presenting comedy, but it was fun. I, I disagree. I think I think what Dennis Miller was doing was was a lot of fun. So kind of all those things combined. Uh, loved all of them and then eventually Conan O'Brien is where he really just that really spoke to me the way that uh, he was doing his show mm-hmm. and uh, you know took a lot of influence from just the absurdity of how his show would run mm-hmm. a lot so you liked a lot of like scripted things a lot sure, of yeah. sketches because I know when you know when it comes to like the Tonight Show the, uh, the interviews those yeah. are improvised they're not scripting sure. those out but you were attracted to like the sketches type things and the scripted type things. Yeah, well, I say, and it also depends on the host too. Mm. Um, you know, um, for example, like Conan's interviews, there's always these moments where he's going to be self-deprecating and he's going to say something he didn't mean to say, and like <laughs> he takes the heat 100. <laughs> percent Right. And it's just so funny, or he has like a one-liner. Um, so in, the, in those instances, those interviews were always interesting to me. Um, but yeah, no, the sketches were always really where I was drawn to, like just. Uh, people trying stuff that you don't normally see. I, Jay Leno had this dumb, this really dumb bit. I can't remember it, w- what the exact name of it was, but he was like a workout dude, and he would wear like this sweatband like at the top of his head that was really, really tight. Mm-hmm. And then the way it was presented on TV was just an ultra close-up, of like almost like a funhouse mirror. Like his head was huge, and uh, he would just you know squeeze his head, and the headband would pop off. And it was just this dumb. You know, prop physical comedy that just like I don't know, just tickled me so much. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But also, you know, his his 
his bits with you know classic bits like headlines and things like that were always just interesting to me too. Mm-hmm. So you liked the physical comedy that he was doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for the time when he was doing those kind of bits, it was good. He kind of strayed away from that, I think, mm-hmm. eventually. But yeah, I always I'm a sucker for just physical comedy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think what Cassidy mentioned, which the one similar similar uh, piece of uh, film that we both appreciated was Airplane. Grew up watching Airplane a ton too. Now speaking of Airplane, yeah. I was reading your bio on the Village Theater's website. Okay. And it said that you have memorized every single scene from the movie of Airplane. Yeah, so it's one of those things where if I'm watching it, you pro- like, unless you love the movie, you probably don't want to watch it with me because <laughs> I, say, I just can't help it. I, uh-huh. I, it's like the only movie where I'm going to say the lines before they're said. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, it's, uh, yeah, it's just got a special place in my heart. So is, do you really have, like, the full thing memorized? Like, like you – like you know the full thing well max i lied i think on my bio oh. so i wouldn't be able to <laughs> oh, okay uh, you know i think it was more of to show people that i do have a deep uh, appreciation of it so you, okay. bu- you busted me here right on, on look you know what we'll, we'll edit this whole That's part perfect. out no yes, one will great. know but man i read that and i was like that is intense <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> wow I think, if, if i were to put an estimate on it like i think i could do about like you know two-thirds of it just watching watching it but mm-hmm. yeah so I'm did you like airplane because airplane there's a lot of physical comedy oh yeah absolutely is yeah. that what you liked about the movie or did you like the absurdity yeah i think it's both right like the physical comedy is coming uh through on a backdrop that's just super serious right it's (laughs) right and you know to me that's where that that juxtaposition always is gonna is gonna make me laugh Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i mean physical comedy has always just been something that um you know when it's done with another layer like that seriousness behind it, to me, it's just, it's always going to be funny. So how old were you when you first saw Airplane? Man, I probably about eight or nine. And when, you, as you're watching, you see it in the theaters? Is no, 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 it? just uh, yeah. on, on television. Okay, so it's out on TV. Yeah. Were you sitting there and you were like, comedy's what I want to do? Like, the movie spoke to you? Or was it just something that you were like, oh, this, I love this? Yeah, no, for me, I don't think there was ever, a, like, a singular moment where a comp, like, comedy's for me. In my family, like, everybody's joking around. Mm. Uh, whether we're, you know, kind of making fun of each other or just, uh, uh, you know, comedy. It's really on TV was comedy or cooking shows. Mm. You know, I think that that's really what it was. So, like, coming into that family, it's just... We just joke around and being the youngest, I always was trying to make my sisters laugh or make my parents mm-hmm. laugh or make my grandmother laugh. Mm-hmm. And so it was really just a part of, oh, I, I watch things that just watch comedy. Like, that's what I watch. So mm-hmm. um, it just really became a part of growing up. To make them laugh, would you try to replicate what you watched Sometimes. on TV? Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would. I remember one time I <laughs> I went into my, my room in my closet. I put on every single piece of clothes I wear, which I think is like a classic kid bit. Uh-huh. And I just like – I put on every single piece of clothing I own and just walked downstairs – uh, in a giant wad of clothing, and my parents are like, ah, that's so funny. And then I did it again, like two weeks later, and I just remember my parents are like, all right, you can't do this all the time. <laughs> so that was a lesson too, where it's like, don't go to the well too much. Right. You know, you don't be a hack. So, yeah. Okay, so you were amusing your family for sure. Did you also take that comedy to school and you tried to entertain your friends? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I think uh, the circle that I always hung out with was uh, obviously not very. Uh, it wasn't a very cool group of kids, so we were just, you know, we were just making fun of everything and anything we could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember in elementary school, we had a school store, and I wrote. I was a big video uh, gamer, and I still am to to a certain extent, not as much as I used to be. But I wrote a newsletter uh, about video games, and then in it, I would include like little bits, little jokes, and like try to make things uh, funny. 
and uh, I brought it to school, p- took it to the school store, put like a, a 50 cents or a dollar. Uh, this makes me sound like I'm really old when I say something costs 50 cents. I'm not. Um, but so I put that on, on the table and like one person bought it and the teacher came by. I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's my like newsletter. And they like read through it and like, all right, you can't, you can't make money at this, this school. So then my, I learned uh, very quickly kind of uh, when your comedy is appreciated and when it's not. Exactly. So, yeah. And you also learned a hard lesson in business. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. And I, now I own that school store. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's how you do it. Uh-huh. Turn it all around. Exactly. Teacher. Exactly. So with that group of friends, are they all watching the same stuff you're watching so you can like uh, – say oh did you see what Jay Leno did last night oh did you see what Conan did is that right. the group no you know I think uh, it's really just we had the same sense of humor and so uh, you know a, for a, a few a few friends were really in, into Conan especially going into high school years mm-hmm. but uh, I don't think ever really people weren't watching as much consuming as much <laughs> television as I was uh-huh. they were probably playing sports and you know going on dates and stuff so <laughs> yeah okay well you know what you went on dates with Conan. Hey, I'm married now and I have a kid, so I win. Boom. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. the real winner. Yeah, that's right. All the way. Shout out to that teacher who shut you down yeah, years yeah. ago. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. So did you want to be a comedian as a kid? Were right. you like, yeah, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be on SNL or I'm going to write for Conan or anything like that? So that's a good story uh, or a good question. Um, not – you know, I've, it was always just something I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I thought – once I got into high school, I was getting closer to college, I was like, I'm going to make video games for a living because oh, I wow. enjoy video games. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to college, and the first day of school uh, in the math class I was in, they, were, they kind of were reviewing, okay, the, you know, this is the, the, uh, the classes you're going to have to take. And I'm very, believe it or not, I, I wear glasses, but I'm very stupid when it comes to math. <laughs> And so, um, and is right now is going, yes, yes, he is. So, um, I, I was just really, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And, um, I kind of made that decision, you know, maybe it's not, I don't want to make video games. Mm -hmm. What I actually really enjoy is the story behind a lot of video games and telling stories. So then it moved to more into writing. And so then I took, you know, transferred out of, uh, out of the technical school I was at, uh, uh, into Georgia state and, and more focused on journalism and uh, other types of, of writing, like uh, creative writing and things like that. Um, before I left for Georgia State, though, I was able to kind of put that in practice in the school, school newspaper of the small school that I was in mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of – with a couple of my buddies, uh, one who I still do, who does improv, uh, Sil Turner from Action Show. Uh, and we wrote for this little newspaper, and it's just supposed to be a college newspaper. But with me – when me and my friends kind of took it over, one of my buddies uh, being – becoming the editor – we just kind of turned it into our own little Harvard Lampoon uh, publication. Very cool. And it was just neat to um, – going back and reading some of these things, my comedic sensibilities have definitely progressed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we were offensive just to be offensive in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, but we were just – we just kind of wrote whatever we wanted, just anything we thought was funny. And some people liked it. Some people hated it. Uh, some people hated it a lot. Mm-hmm. But it was just good exercise for us to get that – it was kind of how we got our creative uh, energy out. So through that – I was like, this is a lot of fun. I would love to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of led me to you know, transferring over to Georgia State 
and applying for an internship over at Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So Conan was based out of New York City at that time with, with the Late Night Show at NBC. This is before the whole Tonight Show uh, kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I was able to get an internship. Oh, there. wow. Yeah. So I, and this is the summer of 2005. And I was able to do an internship uh, through Conan. I know you had a wow. previous guest who also was an intern. Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, CJ yeah. Toledano. He yeah, was exactly. a script intern. Exactly, yeah. Is that what you did? Was that a similar So it was some kind role? of a similar experience where I was like, it just shows how naive I was and just still I was like, I, I'm going to go in there and I mean, I'm going to you know punch up their scripts. I'm going to show them all the funny jokes that I know. And that's right. not quite what uh, those internships are like. It's a great experience, but way you know way different than what I thought it was going to be going mm-hmm. in. Not in a bad way, just just in a I'm a dumb kid naive way. Right. Yeah. So so what type of activities did they have you do as yeah. an intern for Conan? Well, the first thing they do is first they just want to make sure you're competent. So they just send you on. Very easy errands, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, take the subway over here, get a prop for the show. Uh, we need lunch, go get our lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a research team needing um, materials for, you know, whether it's just some obscure movie that they need to to watch or some magazines they need to pull stuff out. So you're you're helping get stuff to help produce the show. Um, so it was a lot of running around town. And then once you're kind of established as someone who can. You know they're not going to mess things. Simple tasks up. They kind of give you a little bit more responsibility. So, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite things was going on remote shoots, and oh, you cool. know, really more of like production assistant type work. You know, mm-hmm. uh, getting equipment ready. Um, you know, being on set to help with you know, kind of go for whatever whatever's needed. But it was kind of cool to watch that process play out and be mm-hmm. on set for those kind of type things. So, a lot of uh, production assistant type work. Okay, and yeah. so how long was this internship for? It was, uh, it was close to four months. It was like three or four months. So you lived up there in New York? I did. So my family's originally up there, and I have a uh, just a wonderful aunt who lives in, in Manhattan. She let me live with her for those months. And, oh, yeah. I don't, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she expected, you know, a, a 20-year-old, uh, you know, <laughs> moving in with her, but she was very nice to, to let me live with her, and it was great. It was, it was just a fun summer, for sure. So what, thinking back to the summer and the internship, what's the coolest memory that you have that's stands out for you there you know i i think the coolest memory just is in generally speaking how's how is how cool as hell conan o'brien is <laughs> and how just how serious he takes uh the, the the comedy and his show and and um i just remember going down to the set of late night before it was about to go on and conan is going through his monologue right before a show he's kind of just he's telling himself the monologue and then he's grabbing anybody who will walk who walks by to see what their reaction is to the joke, to see if it's going to land. And he's scratching stuff like up to the minute. Wow. And just to see that work ethic, uh, but then also to see him just treat everybody just amazingly mm-hmm. was one of the coolest uh, things that ever happened to me uh, or just biggest influences uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weirdest thing and the kind of a story that always I tell that stands out to me is at that time, Max Weinberg was his band leader. Right. Um, and uh, one day we're sitting in the intern pool and um, one of the one of the production uh, assistants comes in and, and says, "Is anybody free this weekend? Max Weinberg needs some help." And so I just raised my hand. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm not working through this summer. I just sure. What mm-hmm. does he need?" And so it turns out he needed help cleaning his house, and because he had just either moved into this house or he was preparing to move, and so I had to take a train into Red Bank, New Jersey, and meet up with <laughs> Max Weinberg <laughs> to help him clean his house. And his horse stables. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is weird. It's very strange, isn't that it? It's is very weird. It's very weird. And the worst part was is that, like, I set the, t- like, I set the tone 
terribly by taking the wrong train. Oh boy! And then for some reason, I didn't have his phone. It was you know I, I didn't have his phone number or something. Cell phones weren't as good back then, mm-hmm. and so uh, he had been waiting for me for like an hour. So it already set the relationship off on a bad foot. Wow! And we kind of just like worked in silence for a couple <laughs> hours. Uh, oh, wow. and, but it was it's like you know it was a it's a fun story to go back and think about. It has nothing to do with my comedy, but it was, right, uh, it's just w- weird. Just like, a weird this is experience. A weird story that wouldn't have been there uh, had I not. Uh, interned on the show right yeah wow that's crazy yeah. so as you talk to me about your internship and also your writings at your technical college and at georgia state there's a lot of writing and doing the behind the scenes stuff but there's not a lot of like performing in front yeah. of people right so did you want to perform was that not something you really cared about sure so i i it really just kind of hit me at some point that that's what i wanted to do and and over that summer I was spending a lot of time at UCB because oh. not working and needed a, you know to get out. It's five bucks. You stay all night mm-hmm. then at UCB Chelsea, uh, and so I would. This was really my first uh, intro to seeing live uh, improv, mm-hmm. and you know I grew up watching Whose Line Is It Anyway, mm-hmm. but I never really saw live improv, and so I was going to UCB um, a lot. And just stay in there and watching shows and just see, like, you never know who would show up. I mean, I remember seeing, you know, David Cross, Mike Myers showed up one night, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Amy Poehler, obviously, and the original uh, UCB folks. And so it was just really cool to just just bear witness to that. It would be the first time I had ever seen it, and I was just blown away by it. So uh, it kind of stuck in my head and, uh, you know, kind of read more about it. Um, all, you know, all the comedians that I really looked up to, SNL folks. You know, reading about their backgrounds, they have improv backgrounds. And mm-hmm. so eventually, around 2010, I was kind of already about two and a half years into a job straight out of college that I really didn't like, and I just needed something else to, you know, to spark that creativity again. And so just on a whim, I, I, I signed up for improv classes. Wow. And okay. uh, I got into it because I thought it would help my writing and help my, uh, you know, just, just appreciate comedy mm-hmm. and it's while it's certainly done that the reasons why I now I still am doing it eight years later are completely different I just love it for what it is and I appreciate the art form so much mm-hmm. and so uh yeah it was just kind of it's interesting how all this is tied together because you know if I'm not in that that in New York that summer and I didn't go get exposed to improv I don't I don't know if I make that decision because it, it just you know at that time I'm not really being able to see that kind of comedy around town mm-hmm. so to backtrack, you know, when you're at UCB for the very first time, yeah, very, that was your first improv show. You had never seen it, yeah. That's, before? that's right. Okay, yeah. so you go in, you like don't know what to expect. Yeah. It's improv. What is that? Yeah, and you're sitting there. Did you have that same type of same type of like revelation as you had when you saw Airplane for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think the revelation is just having a big dumb smile on my face the whole time and being mm-hmm. like, I'm having a really good time. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh-huh. More of this, <laughs> right? Yeah. What what just attracted you to it besides the fact that it was fun? Yeah, you know, uh, it was just so different than anything I had seen and just the spontaneity of it. You know, I think, too, um, seeing some of these people that I admi- admired and seen on TV forever, you know, like Mike Byers being one of them, just jump in and, and do this kind of comedy that I just had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was just incredible. Right. So... Did you want to be? Because I know you were writing a lot. Did you want to be a comedy writer? Is that that's yeah? What no, your goal absolutely, was absolutely comedy. Comedy writing. Uh, is, I've always been drawn to it. I have notebooks and notebooks 
mostly where I should be taking notes for my college <laughs> classes, where I'm just writing just random thoughts, jokes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to this day, still write sketches, and I really enjoy writing. I think, uh, for me, that is still a goal. And I would love to be a professional writer, creating comedy, written word comedy, as opposed to you know just getting up and performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely still a goal of mine, for sure. So you wanted to be a writer, and then you saw improv for the first time, and then you were like, oh, I want to be a performer? Is that it, what it, happened? It took a minute. It took a minute. Okay. Um, you know, when you, when you get into improv, it becomes this thing where uh, you're slowly revealing what it's all about. And so... What I thought about improv going in was completely different than what I wind up learning uh, mm-hmm. over the course of a couple years of classes. And once you, but once you have that first grad show, right? So at the Village Theater, I, I'm so lucky to get involved that through the class program, we believe that every class ends with a grad show because it performance is really what it's all about, and it's a continuation of your of your learning. So while a grad show shouldn't be considered the culmination of everything, it's considered you know, another part of your learning because you're doing it in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. And so once you get that first that first laugh and you come off stage after a show like that, it just, it, it's the best feeling in the world and you wind up chasing that feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that just kept me doing improv, which helped me evolve, e- evolve my comedy, evolve what I thought of comedy, what it could be, and then just loved performing in front of an audience. So you started your improv career at the Village Theater. This is the first place you took classes? Correct, correct. So is this the only theater you've been involved with, your improv Full career? time. I've performed at every, uh, pretty much every theater here in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. Cassie and I have toured mm-hmm. with, with uh, the festival circuit with... Uh, we're not. Nobody's paying us. <laughs> we have to pay. Uh, I make it sound like we. I make it sound like we're getting on a bus and uh, like our, all our all, all our help is, is getting us dressed and, and giving us mimosas now. Uh, so, yeah. So those theaters really my my home base. Uh, I get they just. I've been I've been so fortunate to be here since we were such a very small theater down the street from this location now. Uh, back in 2010, and just to see the growth, being a part of it, it's been it's just super rewarding for me. Um, but also just, again, super fortunate to be able to perform at other places around town as well. So it's great. So how many years did it take from when you started doing improv to the point where you were like, okay, I, I, I think I'm good at this? Yeah, uh, man, it's this constant struggle with, I think you'll find that improvisers are like, I'm never going to be good at this, <laughs> right? Like, there's always that piece of things uh, uh-huh. in our own mind. But I think, um, you know, when I when I did that first grad show and you get that first laugh, I was like, "Oh, okay, this like this this methodology works. Uh, I can do this." And I think that was really encouraging, right? So it became moments of little encouragement that I would have for myself and be like, "Okay, I can do this. This is this is fun." And but you know, it didn't get to the point where I wasn't nervous anymore and uh, I was overthinking things and being in my own head until about maybe five years in and so you know i've been doing it for eight years now so it's really been a pretty recent occurrence for me that you know i can step up and do a show and, and feel pretty confident and pretty comfortable that i have a voice that i can be consistent with mm-hmm. when did you meet cassidy and when did rufio form yes yeah, so i met cassidy uh she started at our theater in 2012 i met her i think it was around december 2012 so you had been here for like two years when you met her yeah yeah we had just moved into this space uh, a few months mm-hmm. into this new theater space and um she you know, was, to, uh, was just started hanging around and i don't mean that in 
any other way that she uh, was getting involved in the community, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was coaching at that time our one of our apprentice groups, um, and so she was in it. So she kind of like auditioned into one of our house teams, and so I was coaching uh, her. I don't know if I was covering or what, what what it was, but I was coaching that group. And as soon as I saw her, you know, kind of do her first set, I was like, "Oh wow, you're really great!" And so we just had a conversation. I got to understand her. Uh, kind of story, and we just immediately just kept hanging out and um, had very similar opinions on what comedy is, what it could be, and kind of how to approach it. And mm-hmm. so we just really started messing around uh, in my living room. We'd push kind of furniture out of the way, and my wife would be like, all right, if you need anything, I'm in the other room. <laughs> and uh, just workshop stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that for a while until – um, you know, we got confident enough to put what we were doing on on a stage. Mm-hmm. So you guys are a two person team, which makes you so unique. Sure. I mean, it's a two person group. When when I think of an improv group, I'm thinking of three people yeah. or maybe more. So what makes two harder or different than three or four or five? Yeah, I think well, with two, you know, you're uh, two to me is so easy, and I'm going to oh. make this sound like I'm an asshole, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> two to me is easy because. You know that you can't take any moments off. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, if you're in a group with eight or nine people, you can get lost in your own thoughts a little bit easier. There's a little bit more pressure when you have two, two people because you have to listen to everything that's happening. You have to know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that perspective, like, you, know, you just kind of uh, have that right mindset. For, but I would say to do a two-person show, you have to do a two-person show with the right other person Mm -hmm. and for us it just comes so naturally we don't we never really rehearsed our show uh after we got comfortable with it we just stopped rehearsing it because we were performing here at the village theater on on the friday saturday house team so we were performing together a few nights a week already and so really just became a matter of understanding where we were coming from creatively Mm -hmm. and so then it got to a point where she could think of something and say one word, I know exactly where she's going with it. And same for me. And so then you get that connectivity. Mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, I had a two-person show all the way. I'm all about it. Um, and you can you just you, – you get to pull the audience along in a completely different way. It's all on you. And uh, it's just really satisfying. It's just a ton of fun. I, I love other ensemble work too. It doesn't it doesn't limit me from enjoying other types of improv. Mm-hmm. Um, but with four, five, six, eight, ten people, right? Uh, the uh, show you saw with the graduates, the the um, was you know we had a huge cast, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it just requires a lot more sensitivity. But you can also do jokes in the or, or do scenes uh, in those. Uh, in those types of shows that you can't with only two people, right? Just having a a bus full of of actors, right? And just seeing uh, eight different people's faces change is just different kind of comedy and just sticks with you a little bit differently. So, uh, you know, they have beauty in both their forms, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it's just different. And like I said, the most important thing is that you're doing it with the right people um, so that you have that connectivity because it just makes it easy. Now, one of the things that I remember watching it when I saw you guys perform for the first time, because it is just the two of you up on stage. Sure. There's really nobody else yeah. there. Um, and I remember watching it, and the scene, you guys do very good storytelling. Like You, oh, can, thank you. you craft these unique stories. Um, but I remember there was this scene, and I, I can bring it up with you because you were there. You I was, don't yes. don't remember, but you lived it. With me. We lived it. We yeah, we did. Shared we, we shared a moment. It was great. <laughs> we did. We shared this moment. <laughs> and uh, it was you and Cassie, and you guys were sitting on the ground, and you were looking up at the stars, yep. and you were just talking about 
how it was something like how you had a grandpa or a mom or something that was up in the space station. <laughs> so, yeah, right. That's, okay. that's what it was. And I just remember I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, that's like, that's a very unique and clever idea. And then I was sitting there and I'm like, there's no way this can keep going. Yeah. They're going to, they have to run out of something. And there would be something else where they're like, Cassie brought up the dog, and you think the dog is looking down on us, and then it started turning into this metaphor for maybe the grandpa's dead, and the, it's a fake space station. <laughs> so what amazed me is how it seemed like the story was coming to an end, or it was coming to a wall, yeah. but somehow one of you would pull something out to have it keep going. Sure. So how did you develop that? Because that's not easy to do. Yeah, you know, I think a natural tendency for a lot of folks who are doing improv, especially just when they're first getting started, is that they feel like every time they get on stage, they're telling a story in terms of traditional storytelling, which is, you know, you're going to have uh, a beginning, a middle, and end, and we're going to tie it together in a, in a nice little bow, and there's, you know, all, all that. Where Cassie and I are not necessarily telling a story with a beginning, middle, and end. We're just telling uh, a story that you get to see maybe eight to ten minutes of, mm-hmm. and who knows what part from beginning, middle, end, we're in, right? Right. And so with that knowledge, there's no pressure for us to have to, uh, for lack of a better way of saying this, make sense of it, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we're, we're trying to make things make sense thematically and, and have the scenes connect that way. But um, it's really a matter of trust mm-hmm. and knowing that each time one of us changes the scene in a new direction, it's because we want to explore just, all right, let's explore this new direction. There's a saying in improv, if this is true, what else is true? And that basically just means how else are we expanding out the universe, right? How mm-hmm. else are we understanding, you know, okay, we've got two people talking, but do we know where they are yet? Okay, so where are they? All right, they're uh, outside looking up at the stars. Okay, if they're outside looking up at the stars, what could be flying overhead? Okay, Maybe a spaceship. Why would the spaceship be up there? Well, maybe that's where angels go, right? And so right. you're trying to layer by layer uh, reveal the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without the pressure of having to um, you know, have that uh, traditional storytelling philosophy, you can just have fun and play with these characters and play with these relationships. And, not, and nobody cares about a story, right? <laughs> right, they, right. Just, they care about how these two people are treating each other at that moment in time. Right. And so tell me how important in your scenes and in your stories – that characters and emotions play. How important are they? Yeah, I mean, they're, they go hand in hand. You know, if, if, if someone walks on stage and they're completely upset, now I get to decide I have two options. I can make them more upset, figure out what's making them upset, and, and just punch that even harder and make them more upset, or I can empathize with them and try to make mm-hmm. them feel better, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's this in-between place where I can play with that to – make them feel better, but then punch them in the gut and make them feel worse again, right? Because <laughs> right. I know know what affects them. So uh, character in a lot of ways is just emotion, right? It's mm-hmm. just a, a way of seeing the world and behaving and how you're feeling at that time, right? Our characters don't have to have this full backstory where I'm a doctor who went to school, you know, XYZ and, you know, spent nine years in residence. You know, I don't need to know all of that. I just need to know how I feel about the person who I'm looking at right this moment mm-hmm. and how I feel about the situation that we're in. And if we do that, those are dynamic characters. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Where, so where did you get the name Rufio <laughs> for your group? Yeah, uh, it's, again, we were, man, I, I've, I actually I was looking at because I, I, I save every email because I'm a nerd. So and, I, and Gmail gives you all the space. Who, exactly. Come on, who, who cares? cares? They're gonna give me the space. I'm gonna use it. <laughs> uh, I was looking back at an old email and we were talking. Uh, we just naming 
names back and forth. And yeah, I was given I, – I like to give Cassidy a hard time. She hates, like, puns and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, I remember one name. I was like, well, we should call ourselves the Aw Shuxtables. And she's like, I will never do improv with you if you think that's a funny joke. Um, so, you know, it got to the point where it was just like, we just need to pick something that people would chant. And through the the movie Hook, you know, the Rufio is a very much an established thing. And we felt that it would be a cheap way to get people to cheer for us before they even saw what we were doing. And it worked. Wow. The first time we did a show, people just naturally did it. And we're like, all right, we're on, we're on to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's just kind of where it came from. Just a d- most improv team names uh, don't have great stories, but that's uh, that's kind of where ours came from. Wow! And yeah. you got a little plug in for Gmail. In <laughs> yeah, if you're not okay, and also if you're using Gmail, make sure you're using the two-factor authentication so that nobody can log into your account from another computer. You're going to thank me later, Max. Wow. Yeah. Look, I came into this interview and I said we're going to talk about comedy. No. We might laugh a little no, bit. This is. A- it's getting deep. Yes, internet security. <laughs> yeah. This is just, this is going to transition me. I'm actually ending talking late night and starting my internet security podcast. Oh, great. So this is a great way Perfect. to just. I'm humbled to be your last guest. <laughs> my, my last and first guest, oh, technically. Perfect. Yeah, that is true. So, All right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking back to Rufio, because I, I asked Cassie, she just moved to Chicago. Yeah. Recent, kind of, like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I asked her if Rufio was going to stay a thing. Yeah. And she said yes. She was like, of course, it's yeah. going to stay a thing. Um, how how are you guys managing that with her in Chicago and you in Atlanta? Yeah. How yeah, she's dead to me, Rufio? so we oh, don't. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, that's it. Next question, Max. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Uh, when we have something that's just, like I said, that easy and that good and just that satisfying for both of us artistically, mm-hmm. uh, we're absolutely going to keep doing it. And the cool thing about us is I, I really like we could just – I think pop up on stage and do that show anytime mm-hmm. um, and, and feel comfortable doing it with each other. Um, so, you know, our goal is to do a few festivals this year. Cool. Hopefully, Cassidy makes some friends. Then I can come to Chicago and do a show in Chicago, which yeah. would be great. Cassidy makes some friends. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think from there, you know, we enjoy writing together as well, too. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we're, 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 we stay in touch and we're trying to get a few shows under our belt. We also write blog posts uh, about improv Um, just kind of our philosophy around improv and so we post those uh like once a month too Mm -hmm. okay yeah so thinking back and all the years that you this is this is a big question yeah you're gonna have to think i've got a lot of years you can think as long as you want i will and i'll just edit out the time you're not perfect great (laughs) so uh thinking back to all the shows you've ever done all the scenes you've ever done is there one scene in particular that stands out to you that you were like wow that that is a good moment. Yeah, um, I started uh, with with, um, with let's see. Let me let me take a step back. So you can edit that mumbling out. So <laughs> uh, me and some friends here at Village Theater, we this man. It's probably back in 2012. We started a show called Captain's Log because all of us sci-fi fans, Star Trek fans, mm-hmm. and uh, again with Silt and my buddy Sil, and so we. We're practicing just doing improvised Star Trek, our own version of Star Trek, not kind of you know building off the archetypes of Star Trek, but not being Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember, and again, this was kind of a, a, a turning point for me. Was uh, I played an android in this um, in the scene who finally started feeling emotions and realized <laughs> I was going to die, and the whole audience just went, "Aww!" and like just 
really cared about this android. And I was right. like, holy shit, I got him. Uh-huh. This is awesome. Right. And that almost, to me, feels better than just a roaring laugh. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say it does because a roaring laugh is phenomenal. <laughs> but it's just to make people feel anything is great mm-hmm. on stage. And so that was a big aha moment to me. That's a huge, huge, uh, huge thing that stands out in my head. There's a second one that really flipped the switch for me just on improv in general. It was about a year and a half in, and it was a, uh, me and some friends here at the theater. We were actually, we signed up. There, at that time, there was an improv tournament uh, called the, 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 I think it was called the Black Box Improv Festival. And so a few of us, we'd come up through classes together, and we just said, let's just go out and do a show and see how, see how it goes. And at that time, nobody was really doing shows outside, at least at, uh, here, there wasn't a lot um, in Atlanta, doing shows outside of their home teams. And so we kind of just got together, did this black box festival, and it was the first time uh, I really created something with another group of people that wasn't, um, you know, taught to us through an institution or coached to us by an instructor. It was something that we kind of came together and did. I'll just never forget sitting backstage with those folks before we went on for the show and connecting just in an amazing way and then going out there and having just a phenomenal show. Mm -hmm. And it just, it highlighted to me the importance of that connectivity and just, uh, feeling good about the people you're doing improv with before going on. And I'll just never forget that feeling. That was a, a light bulb that just turned on in my head for me. And that was like, all right, I want to do this for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I think I kept a photo of that show uh, as my Facebook wallpaper for like seven years. Wow. And because uh, I just wanted to always be reminded of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you – so you changed the wallpaper? I did. Now it's, I think, me, like, uh, doing something stupid, probably. <laughs> yeah. I like to change it, like, once a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. That, that's My weight fluctuates, co- Max. So oh. I gotta, you know, I gotta, gotta keep it neutral. Look, I understand. Believe <laughs> me, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that's a very cool story about the... But but you're right. You're totally right about the connectedness that you yeah. feel, especially on stage. Because I feel like when it comes to improv, I mean, you get up there with somebody, and you're like, look, you got my back, I got your back. Yeah. We're gonna help each other succeed. And... It can bring it brings you close to somebody. It really does, and you know, and it was one of those things too. I was talking earlier about having kind of the wrong idea of of all of this going into it, and you know, when you start improv, they tell you that, right? It's like you know, this is a team sport, and it's kind of like, yeah, 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 but I, I get to be funny, right? So I'm going to be funny. So yeah, no, I get it. It's a team sport, but I get to be funny. I'm just, you know, c- coming up that my first, you know, first year really, um, not proud of most of that work I was doing, <laughs> right? Because just you know, you learn the hard way of of you know, don't make your partner look stupid just to get the audience to laugh. Like, one, they're going to hate you, but right. two, that's just not the hot, that's just not how this is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. You can get to that point, you know, when you when you're comfortable with a group and your friends, you know, then it's fun to kind of mess with people on stage. But when right. you're coming up and you're you're all trying to find your voice, it was just it was like such a rude style of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely not, uh, <laughs> definitely. Don't look back at doing that and, and feeling good about it. But I just I'm so thankful to have that aha moment. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, no, this is something we are a collective, and doesn't matter the, who they are. Let's just let's come together and, and try to make something. Mm-hmm. So if you were to define your improv voice, yeah, how would you how would you describe it? Yeah, goodness, um, it evolves for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, right now I'm into uh, how do we get the audience to really appreciate who we are just as individuals first as just humans because i think you make that human connection Mm -hmm. off the top of a show 
um, and then kind of go into your into your into your your stick and your your bits and your and your and your um, and your set. Um, then it kind of lands a little bit better because people are like, okay, I know this this person's not coming out trying to be someone right away. We get to know you know you first. So I, I'm really digging the kind of shows where um, we have a lot of interaction with the audience up top as just regular people, and then we kind of go into our show. So I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, my voice is really, I would say, uh, pretty nerdy. Uh, you know, so if I can take something in a sci-fi direction or just kind of fanciful direction, I definitely will. Um, but uh, I also really love trying to make my my teammates laugh as well. So mm-hmm. if I can make someone someone break, uh, that's a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. But I just um, I don't know. I'm just I'm such a nerd about all of it about improv in general that. Um, I I just get joy kind of out of doing all sorts of shows. I think over the last month I did, you know, like a really serious set with Cassidy and then, you know, did an action show, which was just so much fun and so silly. Mm-hmm. Like that show is just so like it's 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 a, an action movie on drugs kind of. <laughs> and it was just so weird, you know, like shooting. Like I don't normally like shoot people in my sets, but for that show it made a lot of sense and was like right. a ton of fun. So I think just, you know, uh, being able to have that variety for me is is kind of important. So really mm-hmm. not sticking myself to one kind of style, but really being able to play in a ton of different ways is really kind of what I would say my voice is really turned into. So when you are doing a show and you walk out on stage, would you say that's your goal for the night is just to to make everyone break character and to be you know <laughs> be funny well, and 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 also to to connect with the audience and everything you were describing is that what's going yeah. on in your head it's to have fun right it's mm-hmm. to, it's i mean it all boils down to having fun and and really getting the audience to appreciate what we're doing you know i think in a lot of ways we're still educating people who come to see improv for the first time what they're about to see right right and so as long as we can take people along on the ride for us with, with us you know uh, i think in a lot of ways uh it's it's going to be better for everybody. So just trying to get the audience on, on, on board with us is kind of one of my kind of big, big, big goals that I have for most shows that, that we do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just having fun, fun with my cast members and really just trying to support their ideas mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's so much fun to see someone come out with nothing, a small thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then someone jumps onto it and adds to it. And then another person jumps on and adds to it. And now all of a sudden we've created – this giant monster scene that's just hilarious and the audience has been rolling mm-hmm. and we just like you know button it with just this amazing laugh and it just feels so good to create something with your friends that you just appreciate and and the audience appreciates and you just yeah it's it's the best feeling so you talked about you know i forgot exactly how you described it, it was about making the audience like um what, what kind did of, you kind say? of see you as real people, right? Because, see you as uh, yeah. real people. So, do you feel like you feel like most audiences when they come to improv shows? Do you think they? It's not like a lack of respect, but it's kind of like they come in and they're like, "Oh, I can do this because I talk to people, so I can improvise." So, in a yeah. way, you're kind of like up there trying to show them, "Look, this is hard to do." Do you feel that at all? No, I, I you know, I, I think at a subconscious level, definitely. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to, uh, you know, push an agenda on an audience by all <laughs> means, by any means, but I right. do think. There is a level of, um, you know, some folks come to these shows and, you know, you're asking the audience for suggestions. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, if you're not familiar with improv or you're not familiar with live theater, you're being told to yell something out. Oh, cool. That means I can yell something out all night. And it's right. just, no, you really can't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think here at, at Village, we we play with when those things happen, right? If an audience member wants to yell out in the middle of a scene, we're going to work that into the scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... 
that kind of like blows audience members away. They're like, oh, you didn't get frazzled by that. You kind of used it, right? Right. Uh, that obviously only goes so far. You don't want <laughs> them to think that they can do that all night. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think I'm rambling at this point. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, lost my train of thought. What, 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 I, what was my original point? <laughs> you, you were talking to me about uh, kind of proving yeah. an audience member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrong okay, right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not so much about. So it's not so much about proving audience members wrong. It's to highlight to them what improv can be. I think a mm. lot of the times the experience is through whose line is it anyway, which is a very funny show, but it's made for television and it's right. produced for television, which is way different than live theater. It's true. And a lot of folks will say, "Oh, your shows on on you know, can I go watch some of your shows?" Improv is really best experienced in person mm-hmm. in a theater. Um, it, there's just something. It's a magic. It's really something magical yeah. about it. And it's so hard to put your finger on it. You just have to experience it to really understand. And so then the goal for me, for the audience, is to show them, you know, it's not all the same. Come back. See more shows. You know, they're going to be different every time. You know, especially here, we run shows Thursday through Sunday, mm-hmm. all completely different. They're going to all have different voices. They're all have different styles. Mm-hmm. And so really just if we can get people to appreciate it more for the art form that it is and realize you're not going to see the same thing every time, it's just it, – it, you know, it's kind of evangelistic, right? You know, mm-hmm. I totally get that though. Where improv is a very you had to be there type of art yeah, form right. because I, I can like you know get so excited all day about all the the amazing scenes that I've seen you guys do, and I can talk about it, and people will be like, "Yeah, that's super awesome." But it's like what we said: there's a magic that happens in the moment, and it's like a shared experience where it's like. I'm sitting in this audience of maybe 30 to 40 people, complete strangers, yeah. but we're all having this shared moment together, something that's happening right now that will never happen again, ever. Yeah. You know, that's cool. That's it's just super a cool, cool thing. It really when is. When in comparison to like a play or a musical, that those audiences are going to be having the same experience night after night because it's scripted. The actors are going to say the lines the same way and it's yeah. the same set and the same movement. But improv's not like that. No. And what, honestly, one of the biggest compliments we'll get sometimes is, that, is after a show, an audience member will be like, so how much of that do you guys write? It's like, mm-hmm. well, none of it. Thank right. you. Thank you. <laughs> that's right. that's right. awesome. Thank like, you. I'm going to go high-five my whole cast now because you thought we wrote that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Just get, you know, people don't know until they see. It's true. No, it's very, very true. Uh, so today, besides um, being an improviser and being an actor um, and writing comedy, what, what else do you do? Yeah, so I have a day job. I, I work for a software company. I manage a tech support team. So Ooh. when you have problems with any type of software, I, you know, my team's the folks, people you uh, live chat with or, or email or talk to on the phone. Now, but you're not the one on the live chat. You I was at one point, Max, and then I, you know, somehow convinced people that I was competent enough to be a manager. <laughs> yeah. D- did, you, uh, uh, did you crack jokes to people you were live chatting with? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, improv was great for my career. Um, mm-hmm. And about the time I started improv is about the time I had a big career shift for myself. So okay. I've been working at this company for uh, seven and a half years now. Mm-hmm. And it pretty much corresponds to the time I started improv. And it changed the way I just honestly look at the world and how I treat people. Mm-hmm. And I think through the lessons of improv, it helped me be an effective manager because I can bring, you know, I just, you, you in improv, you, like we were talking about before, you connect with people, you learn mm-hmm. how to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And at the workplace, you know, I had such a miserable job previously, I kind of told myself I'd ever want to do that again never want to put myself through that again and and if given the opportunity to run a department i never want to have people feel that way about work i want people to be able to come to work and appreciate each other Mm -hmm. and enjoy it and have fun and uh so i definitely take a lot of 
what I've learned from improv and comedy in general and bring that to bring that to work and so far it's been effective for me mm-hmm. that's super cool that's awesome yeah um so for my last question yeah. for you it's a question i ask every single guest okay. who's on the show it's how we kind of put the final cherry on top of yeah. this interview sunday wonderful um and the question is if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who eventually wants to be in your shoes what piece of advice would you give them yeah i would say the big thing is enjoy it right enjoy the now a lot of times people have goals that they which is great it's great to have goals it's great to have something that you want to work toward but when people don't reach those goals or they set them pretty far out out of reach they don't get to be present in the process of getting to that goal and i see that a lot of times in improv where people set themselves up for thinking in you know in a year and a half i'm going to be doing you know four shows a week and i'm going to be on all these teams and it just doesn't work that way. You have to really enjoy the work, really enjoy the art of it, and then what happens happens, right? Be receptive to feedback and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the now. And if you're enjoying it and you work hard, to me, everything else will take care of itself. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be you know uh, rough patches where you're going to be looking up at the sky being like, Spaceship Grandpa, where are <laughs> Grandpa. you? Grandpa! <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I think just uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, that's a good enough reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, Vincent, if people want to see you perform yeah. or maybe learn more about Rufio or check sure. out Rufio and their eventual tour dates or where you guys are going on your giant mega bus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Cassie will have to drive it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but how can people find out more about you? RufioImprov.com is where we'll post all our blog posts. Follow us on all the social, uh, Facebook we you know we have a active page where we'll post those blog posts too. Uh, Village Theater, VillageComedy.com. Um, check us out. We do shows every Thursday through Sunday. I'm going to start directing the cast that performs on Thursday nights, and uh, I, I typically do shows uh, every Friday and Saturday. So you can kind of come see me then, and then I'm around town in just random places. You never know where you'll see me, Max. You can pop up at a Kroger, yeah. maybe a coffee shop. I've got really there. dumb jokes that I post on Twitter as well. If anybody would care to uh, to to read them and then press the heart button, okay. uh, it's Vince Mig at Twitter. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's all different ways people can see you. Yeah. Um, but thank you again, Vincent, for being on thank the you, show. Max. Yeah. Uh, I had a blast talking to you. How to learn how to correctly pronounce your last name? Yes, that's right. Because I butchered it. That's like okay. Everyone idiot. does. Everyone does. The, yeah. You know, honestly, people do that. They don't. They don't pronounce it wrong with my last name. Yeah. but They always spell it wrong. How do they spell it? They spell it C A N T O R, and it's a K. Yeah, you confuse people with that. I know. English is a crazy language. It is. It is. The worst I've ever had it spelled was C-A-N-T-E-R, and I was like, no. No, that's not what it is. It's worse for me, too, when people call me Victor. Because they, they they read my name so fast, yeah, they don't right. even they comprehend They see VI, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, whatever, V name. Victor Miglior. Yeah, I'll uh, take it. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So is this better than Cassidy? You decide, uh, home audience. Exactly. Well, I'll send this to Cassidy. Yeah. I'll let her take a listen for, her, for herself. <laughs> she can decide. Thanks. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again for being on, and thank you to listening. Remember, you can find us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can find us on Facebook at Talking Late Night. You can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Vincent Migliori. Yeah! Yeah! Ow! And thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.